So we've been going through this series called Follow. And it's talking about basic discipleship issues and elements of the faith. And so the first week, Pastor Adam preached on faith. Last weekend, he preached on scripture and engaging the narrative of God's word, which if you didn't hear that, I encourage you to get that. I'm going to reference that a few times today. The podcast is, is up. You can, you can listen to it. I really encourage you to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about the person and role of the Holy Spirit. Now, coming off of weeks of ordination prep, and then trying to boil down the person and role of the Holy Spirit, and then make it practical in 40 minutes or less is quite a task. So uh, if, if I seem like I'm rushing, it's because I am. It's because I'm trying to cram a lot into this talk. And I was thinking, man, this is sort of like if somebody came to you and said, hey, I just heard a Beatles song for the first time. I feel like I might like them. Where should I start? I don't know. They've got 34 albums. Uh, you can go to 1964. You go to the end. You, I, I don't know. Meet the Beatles, Magical Mystery. I don't know. But like, it's a daunting task to try to go after the Holy Spirit in, in, in a short amount of time. Okay, but we're going to try to do it, so hang with me if I get moving too fast. Uh, sorry. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. Again, don't feel like you need to turn there. Okay? Just hang with me. We'll go to a couple passages where we do need to read. If you're taking notes, I'm going to shout out a couple things at you. Um, so be prepared for that. Now, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working in the church in Christ followers. But for me growing up, the Holy Spirit was sort of a mystery. And, and, and I know for a lot of people, he still is. And, and I was thinking, when I was little, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these commercials, there was Mrs. Butterworth's Syrup. Anybody remember this? And, it was, and she, it was the syrup bottle shaped like a woman, which was kind of creepy. But in the commercials, even creepier, she would talk to the kids. And they would be like, why is your syrup so good? And she would say, because it's, it's so rich and thick, right? Well, I remember when I was little, my mom's here, she'll appreciate this. I remember looking at the kitchen table, looking at Mrs. Butterworth when nobody was around, kind of being like, are, are you going to talk? I would do this. And, and I was like, is she talking to other people? Are other kids doing the right thing, getting Mrs. Butterworth to talk to them? Because she does it in the commercial, right? This is sort of how we approach the Holy Spirit sometimes. You know, people are like, well, I, I, I want to hear the Holy Spirit talk, I think. Am I doing the right thing? Is, is the Holy Spirit talking to other people? Is he active in other people's lives? Is he active in mine? What do I have to do to interact with the Holy Spirit? So that's sort of what I'm going after today, the person and role of the Holy Spirit and then how he interacts with our lives. Now, I'm going to assume some things, because I can't spend four hours talking about this, okay? So I'm going to assume some things, and I'm going to give you some scripture references that you can look up if you would like to right now. So get your, get your pens and papers ready, whatever this song is. Okay, so here's the deal. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God, all right? The Holy Spirit is God, and as much so as God the Father is, and as much as Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. God. If you want to look these passages up, you can look it up in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where it says the Spirit is the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit. You can look up Acts 5. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much money they have? Peter says, you haven't just lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He equates the two. You can go there. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He has always existed. He has always been with the Father. He has always been with the Son. 
From all time through all time, he is part of the Trinity. We see this over and over again. You can look in Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says, baptize them into whose name? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's equating them, saying they're part of the Trinity. Now, this one's important. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I don't mean a human person, but has a personality. It's not... See, I did it right there. Did you hear it? It's not... He's not just a force, like in Star Wars, right? It's not, he's not just this magical force that exists out there and exerts himself on us. He is a person at work in creation, bringing new life. He can be lied to. He can be grieved, it says. He prays for us, Paul says in Romans 8. He counsels us, Jesus says. He reminds us of Jesus' words. He is a person, an active person. He is a down payment Paul says, and a seal put on us and affirms our adoption to God by which we cry, Abba, Father. He's what carries us into eternity. And we have that down payment now to constantly remind us of that. You can see that in Galatians 4, 4 to 7, if you'd like to look there. Now, a couple great chapters on the Spirit. All right, I would encourage you to go through what Pastor Adam talked about last week in reading Scripture. This week, maybe go through Romans chapters 6 to 8. It is loaded with Paul being amazed by being set free from sin and by living in the Spirit. And there's a ton of good teaching there. I encourage you to read that this week. Now, I'm going to start at the end where we're going to end up with the practical, which is in Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 and Acts 2. I'm going to go after all of these things today very quickly. But in, uh, in Galatians 5, if you've grown up in the church, you know this, at the end of Galatians 5, we see the fruits of the Spirit, right? And Paul says in Galatians 5, he says this in verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And then he goes on to list the acts of the sinful nature, right? He says, these are obvious, and they are, and I don't need to go through them now. And he goes on to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So he's someone that we're we're going to be keeping in step with, and when we do, we see these fruits of the Spirit come out. This is expected of Christ followers who are filled with the Spirit. And if you look in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul says this as well. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with with the Spirit, or be being filled is really how it's translated. Be being filled with the Spirit. Speak to another one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he goes on. And in Acts 2, all right, to add just another story of what the Spirit looks like, in Acts 2 we see Pentecost happen, right? Again, if you've grown up in the church, you know this story that that the disciples have the Holy Spirit descend on them and it fills them and there's fire dancing over their heads and they start speaking in different languages to go and proclaim the gospel to the people around them. And it's this incredible dynamic experience of the Spirit just filling these men and this crazy thing that happens where they go and speak in other languages. Now, what in the world does that mean for us today? 
Are we supposed to have this dynamic experience where we get filled with the Spirit, we run around and speak in tongues, and we have these special manifestations? Or is it supposed to be more subtle, where he's working in us, and we're in step with him, and we're being filled by him, and we're being transformed? And I would argue that it's both. All right, what I want to look at today is the journey that is shown in the narrative of Scripture that lands us in Acts 2. All right? So this is what I'm saying. Don't worry about Bibles. Just hang with me and remember this narrative with me of God at work in Scripture. Going all the way back to the beginning, we see the Spirit at work. If you remember in Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit is hovering over the deep, hovering over the water. The Spirit is active in creation. And then we see that God makes things for six days, right? Culminating in the creation of man and woman, of humanity. It says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And if you look closely and see what it says there, it says that he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. He breathes breath into him, and he becomes a living being, it says. Now, I don't often go into Hebrew and Greek, but this is important. And maybe you've heard this before, but it's fascinating to me. The word for breath... In Hebrew, is ruach. It even has a breathy sound to it. Ruach. It's the same word for spirit. The same word for breath is the same word as spirit. And when we get into the New Testament, we see that wind is the same word as well. So there's this imagery all the way from the beginning that God's spirit is, is equated to, to wind and the breath of life moving and breathing in people and giving them physical and eventually spiritual Life, as we'll look at. So Genesis 2, God breathes life into Adam. And we see that in the garden, we talked about this in the long story short series, we see that in the garden, life is good. Humanity has the presence of God with them. Heaven and earth are united in the garden. And the presence of God is there. And they have provision. They have everything that they need. God is caring for them and supplying for them all that they need. And they have purpose. They're to fill the earth. They're to manage the garden. There's a job that they are to do. They are on mission, reflecting God's glory back to him by interacting with creation in that way. So they have God's presence, heaven and earth united. They have provision and they have purpose. But sin comes, we know this, right? And it wrecks this. And there's a penalty for sin. It's they're kicked out of the garden. They're separated from God's presence. And the heaven and earth connection is broken. And God has been on a journey since then to bring that back to us, ultimately through Jesus. So he makes a covenant with Abraham. Remember, we talked about this. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a people. My presence will be with you. And you will have a mission. You will have purpose. You will have provision. I will give you a land. I will care for you. And he gives him this covenant. And we see that the Israelites falter in this. And they end up in slavery. And Moses leads them out of slavery at Passover. And he leads them into the desert. And they go. And 50 days later, they receive the law from Moses, God's setting up again. This is what it's going to look like for heaven and earth to be united in the people of Israel. And we see that they create a tabernacle, right? Fascinating thing. One of the first times we see the Spirit filling someone and is a man who designs parts of the tabernacle. God fills him and gives him the ability to design this artwork for the tabernacle. But what happens at the tabernacle? Heaven and earth are united again. This is the place where God's presence comes and dwells among man. And these Israelites were supposed to be calling people to come and worship God at this heaven and earth place. 
And we see eventually the kingdom begins, right? And David says, I want to build the temple where God's presence will be. And God says, no, your son Solomon's going to do it. So Solomon takes the plans for the temple and he builds this amazing, ornate, beautiful place where heaven and earth meet. So much so that we see in the book of Kings and other places where the presence of God so fills the place that people can't be anywhere near it. It's this beautiful picture of God's glory filling the temple and heaven and earth meet in the temple. It's beautiful. This is God bringing about his presence to earth. Then what happens? Sin enters again into the picture and the kings falter. And eventually we see in Ezekiel that the spirit of God, the glory of God leaves the temple. And that heaven and earth presence is separated. It's gone. There's a fascinating picture in Ezekiel. Tony read from Ezekiel 37. We see God makes a promise to these dry bones, right? You remember this? It comes with a loud noise. And you remember what he does? He he breathes life into these bones and they rise up. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. This is different because the spirit has been coming to the temple. He says, someday I'm going to put my spirit in in you. Or in chapter 36, he says this, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land because they've been exiled at this point. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I'm just thinking of this. Reference Titus 3 if you want to look up sprinkling and cleansing by the Holy Spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from your idols. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's saying, I'm going to give my spirit to you so that you can fulfill the law through Jesus ultimately, to love God and love neighbor. But what do we see happen? When Jesus comes, he says, this is not going to be by flesh. In John 3, when Nicodemus comes to him and says, I I want this. I want this kingdom that you're talking about. How do I get it? And Jesus says, what? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And we see in Titus 3 that the spirit comes and cleanses us, washes us, rebirths us. This is what it means to be born again. So if any of you freaked out by that, that statement, you hear born again Christians. This is what it means is that the Spirit comes and rebirths us, makes us new, cleanses us, makes us ready to receive the Spirit, which we'll see in a couple minutes. It's a spiritual act. It's nothing that we do. The Spirit cleanses us and makes us ready to receive the Spirit. Then in John 14 and 16, Jesus says to his disciples over and over again, I'm going to send the counselor after I leave. This counselor of the Holy Spirit will come, and he's going to remind you of what I've said. He's going to remind you of the gospel. He's going to lead you into truth. He will encourage you. He will counsel you. And then John 20, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Jesus has died and been resurrected. And he comes to the disciples and listen to what happens. Jesus appears to them and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see it again? He's breathing new life into them. This is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Being, new life being breathed into us, making us alive, making us new creation. And he breathes it into him. And I love that he equates it, or he, he links it with, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We see right again that Israel hadn't fulfilled their command to go and reach the lost, to tell people about God. He says, right now, I'm giving you the Spirit. You're going to be sent to do what I've done, to tell people about me. Always links it there. We've been made new living beings. Now, then this crazy thing happens. Now we'll get into some of the, the, the application part of this. The disciples then interpret this and say, okay, great. Now you're going to bring your kingdom, right? Like now you're going to do this thing, Jesus, where you set up your kingdom and we get to rule with you. And he's like, no, again, we've been through this multiple times. That's not what's happening. I'm leaving. Actually, you're going to stay here. Go to Jerusalem, the place where I'm telling you to go wait. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. Go wait. Go pray for a little while. Go sing some psalms. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come and rest on you. And then what does he say in Acts 1? You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. On Saying again, linking the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. You're going to be my witnesses. You see the interplay here between these things. So, what happens? They're waiting in a room. All the disciples are there. Probably more than just the, the, the 11 at that point. They pick a 12. And there are probably a bunch of disciples there, Jesus' followers. And the Spirit descends on the place, like we talked about, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak in tongues, and they're speaking in different languages, and they go and they proclaim the gospel. It's this crazy happening. So, is that how the Spirit acts today? I would tell you that it should be. (laughs) Can. Sometimes does. We could expect God to act in this way. So I'd say, first of all, that, that the Spirit acts dynamically. Has in the past, has still been doing it around the world, and can still do it now. The Spirit can act dynamically in our lives, in explosive and, and crazy ways, in the way that he did in Jesus' life for the glory of God. Those things are always going to be linked. The Spirit acts for the glory of God. He makes God known. Now, I want you to think about something with, about Pentecost with me. If you've never studied Jewish history, I encourage you to do it. Read your Old Testament. Look for Jesus. Look at the overlap of these things. Because here's something crazy that's going on in this picture. Jesus tells the disciples to go and wait. He's been resurrected. And after, well, when did he die? The day before Passover, right? He died on the preparation day. Fifty days after Passover... This Feast of Weeks is happening. Fifty days after Passover is about the time that they're heading into Jerusalem to wait for the Spirit to come. It's called Pentecost, 50 days. It's the Feast of Weeks. This is an old Jewish uh, holiday that's been happening. It's a feast, a festival that's been happening for years, since Moses' day. So the disciples are waiting 50 days after the resurrection, or after the crucifixion and the resurrection, They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, this is what's fascinating. Everybody in town would have been, people would have been flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate this. 
They would have been reading different liturgies, performing different things in the temple. I want you to think about one of the passages that would have been read in the temple. All right? It was from Ezekiel 1. I'm telling you, read Ezekiel. It'll blow your mind. In Ezekiel 1, it is a passage that the priests would use to celebrate Pentecost. To celebrate these 50 days. To celebrate and look forward to God's glory returning to the temple. I'm going to read this passage. It's a little bit nutty. Just try to picture this with me, okay? Ezekiel says this in uh, in Ezekiel 1. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces. Crazy, I'm telling you. And four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. He's starting to see the glory of God in this vision. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. If you look in Jewish history, we see that these four faces are the same faces that were on the banners that surrounded the camp. When Israel would camp, they would have four groups. There'd be four banners, the Lion of Judah. This is symbolic to them. it, It surrounded the Ark of the Covenant where God's glory was. So these faces are reminiscent to him. He knows these faces. He's heard about them. He's seen them. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. Now listen to this. This is in a windstorm. It's chaos. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And he goes on to describe these crazy wheels with eyes on them and this this cloud that looks like ice. And above it is a throne and on the throne is a man. It's God's glory that he's seeing and experiencing. In all its craziness with wings and creatures and faces and the wheels. But he's experiencing the presence of God. But do you notice how he describes it? came in a windstorm. There was fire dancing back and forth between it. The priests were reading this passage during Pentecost while the disciples are waiting for the Spirit to come. So in one camp, we have people waiting for the Spirit to come in the temple. They're reading Ezekiel's prophecy, looking forward to God's presence, reuniting in heaven and earth. And here the disciples are off in a room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And what happens? Look in Acts 2, right? I'm not even going to go there. You know where it is. Acts 2, what happens? The Spirit fills the room. There's a rushing wind. (gasps) Flames start showing up on top of their heads. It's Ezekiel's vision. And instead of coming true in the temple, it's coming true in man. That the temple is now human beings. It's no longer a heaven and earth place. It's heaven and earth people. Do you see it, church? So this is why people come rushing, probably from the temple, saying, we expected it here, we wanted it here, we've been praying for it here, and yet it's happening here with these guys. 
What is going on? And they go there and they find these men who come rushing out of the house and they're babbling and they're speaking in different tongues and they're speaking different languages, explaining to people, this is who Jesus is. Church, do you see it? The Spirit comes and fills us in dynamic ways so that Jesus can be made known. Oftentimes in church history, people have pursued this and they're like, I need to speak in tongues. I need to have this spiritual experience. Me, me, me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus being made known. It's about being heaven and earth people where God's presence dwells and our purpose is to go and share with the world around us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about sin and he says, how how could you unite your body with something sinful? You are a temple of the living God. That glorious presence with the winged creatures and the eyes and the fire and the lightning and the wind, it dwells inside of you. God has been so good to cleanse you, just like the temple was cleansed. He's cleansed you by the Spirit so that he can live inside of you and inside of me. It's incredible. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we bring that about? Well, truthfully, I don't think that's the point. Like I said, the point is to make God known. Paul says in Philippians 1, 12 to 13, he says, God works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Church, the Spirit cleanses us. We don't. The Spirit has made us ready to receive him, not us. And it's God's plan to will and act in us so that we act according to his purpose. It's nothing that we drum up. We don't even have the eyes to see that we need it. It's him that has saved us and given us even the ability to do that. But I'll say this. Historically, when God's spirit has moved in such a dynamic way, we see that people are in prayer waiting for God to move. Historically in the Bible, I've seen this in my own personal life. I know many of you have seen this. When God does something dynamic, when a, when a healing happens, when somebody speaks in tongues, when, when so many people have been raised from the dead, when these crazy things happen, you know, let me pause. Other gifts of the Spirit are hospitality, faith, not so crazy gifts, right? But it says that the Spirit gives them for the good of the church. These things happen when people are praying and waiting for God to move and asking him to do it for his Glory. It happens when people want to see God's glory and make him known to the world. And it happens when we are totally submitted to God. If we are purposefully unclean, if we are purposefully unrepentant and not turning to God's ways, I think it's pretty easy to say that he's not going to move in power in our lives and fill us in that way because we're filling ourselves with other things. Now, I'm not saying we're ever perfect, and you know what I'm saying. The Spirit is who cleanses us and fills, fills us, but when we totally submit. So does the Spirit still act dynamically? I believe so. I've, I've seen people healed. Like, I mean, crazy things happen when we are in prayer and waiting for God to move dynamically, but for the purpose of making Him known. Can I say that again about 1 Corinthians 12, about the gifts Romans 12, if you read those passages, Paul is saying this isn't about you. These gifts are for the good of the body and so that Jesus is made known. That is why the Spirit manifests himself in dynamic ways. 
But I think we can expect that we can pray for God to move in that way, but we need to submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit, which brings me to part two. The Spirit moves dynamically, but the Spirit also moves subtly. The Spirit moves quietly, slowly, to transform us. He works dynamically in ways to make God known, and he works slowly in us to transform us and make God known. Please hear that. We don't just get transformed for our own good. We get transformed so that we can be heaven and earth people and show Jesus to the world around us. Look at Galatians 5 with me. Actually, look at Ephesians 5. This is a a fascinating passage. Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5. Get to know these. Study them. Look at them. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, he says, Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? If you think about it, that's a passive verb. Be filled. I heard a guy uh, say the other day, something I was listening to, he said, that's like saying, how do you be phoned? Like if I told you be phoned, that's a, how do you do that? I mean, that's a passive verb. Yet here Paul is saying, be filled. And when you are filled these fruits of the Spirit start to come out of us because it's who Jesus is living in us. So how do we be filled? I heard this analogy years ago, and um, my community group's going to be like, oh, great, we could hear this again. Sorry, guys. Um, being filled, remember the, the image here of the breath, the wind, and the Spirit? Being filled... Is, is not like maybe you've pictured before of an empty glass that we fill with water. That image breaks down. And it's not like being filled like an instrument, like where you blow air into a trombone and it makes noise because sometimes it stops and it just sits in a corner. It's more so like a sailboat. Being filled with the Spirit is more like a sailboat. Now, the problem is, in in American westernized minds, we often think like powerboats. We think, I'm going to put gas in this tank, and we are going to go. We're going to get from point A to point B, whether it's transformation, whether it's mission, we're going to make it happen. we got the money, we got the expertise, we've got the ability, we've got history with Jesus, we're good, we're filling it up, and we're going. That's not what Paul calls us to. Paul calls us to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to be like a sailboat. Who has the power in the sailboat analogy? The Spirit does. The Spirit is the wind that is moving us. Now, what if you don't put the sail up? You don't move, right? So this is a both-end scenario. The power comes from the Spirit, But we have work to do in raising the sail to catch the wind. Now, you know us well, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is not work that we do to earn the Spirit, 
to earn his grace. He's already doing it. He is at work in us. We simply raise up the sails of our lives to catch the Spirit. And again, Philippians 1, it's God who is willing it in us. It's God who is doing it. So the question then for me becomes, what does that look like? What does that look like to be filled with the Spirit, to put up the sails? Well, I think in some ways it comes down to spiritual habits. We've called them spiritual disciplines. Although that word sounds like, oh, discipline, I don't like that word. Practices, you know, habits that we develop. How do we put up the sails? I would say one of the first ways we put up the sails to sense what the Spirit is doing and to move with the Spirit has to be Scripture. And we talked about this last week, and I encourage you, please go and listen to that talk if you didn't hear it, about engaging God's narrative and the questions that Adam gave us to ask when we're reading Scripture. But here's the thing. Scripture is the authority through which everything else runs. So you want to sense what the Spirit is doing. Look what he's done in the past. Look what he does in Scripture. And when you sense God may be doing something through the Spirit in you, run it through Scripture. Do you see it validated by Scripture? Do you see God you know, commanding the things that he may have commanded you in your heart or your head? Read Scripture to get to know the character of God so that when you see him move, you think, ah, that's my shepherd. I've seen him do this before. I know his voice. I know what's happening here. So scripture is a way that we put up the sail. Another way, like I talked about a minute ago, hearing his voice. Prayer. (laughs) You want to hear from the Spirit. You want to see transformation happen in your life. Are you in prayer asking God to move? Are you in prayer listening? Church, I can't speak highly enough of the practice of listening. How creepy that silence is. We're so bad at it. We're so bad at being quiet. But how often during the week are you waiting for God to speak? Are you reading scripture and waiting for God to bring something to mind? Church, I'll tell you the times that I've seen Jesus speak to me have been when I've been quiet and waiting. And it's only been a handful of times where I felt God dynamically speak to me. And again, Philly always had to give this caveat. Not, not in an audible way and that the room was shaking. But I was like pinned to my couch and couldn't move. Because just the presence of God was so strong on me. And he, and he said, I'm not even going to tell you what he said. But I felt it was from the Lord telling me some things I needed to do with my life. But if I had just been praying saying, God, here's my list. Get me through the day. Help me be patient with my kids. Yada, yada, yada. And not listening, I wouldn't have heard him. You have to create space in prayer to hear the subtle yet dynamic voice of the Spirit. The other thing I would say is you need to take note of the prompts of the Spirit throughout the day and throughout your week. So what does that look like? Uh, Example for me this week was I was super busy, stressed out, My kids are running around. I've got ordination on my mind. I've got preaching on my mind. And my wife is like, hey, can you do the dishwasher? Everything in me says no. I've got better things to do. But I felt this prompt from the Spirit like, hey, 
I've told you I've offered you full life. Do you think maybe it could be found in serving? Yes, I believe you. <laughs> and lean into that. Maybe it's a prompt you feel at work when a coworker is saying, hey, you know what, my life's falling apart, or I, I just got diagnosed with cancer, and the Spirit says, pray with them. Folks, that's the Spirit at work, on mission, through you. And you get to experience whatever God wants to do through you in that moment. Paul goes on in this passage to say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you submitting to your wife? Are you submitting to your husband out of reverence for Christ? These are the prompts that come up during the week. We see people in need. We see people hurting. We, we see people who could use service. We see people who could use hospitality. We feel like we hear a word from the Lord and we're like, no, that's something else. No. I'm telling you, we ignore the Spirit regularly. We're not picking up on his prompts, maybe because we're not in prayer, maybe because we're not recognizing it from Scripture. But again, if we want to see the Spirit move in us, we want to put up the sails, we listen and respond to his prompts. Something that's important too. Got a couple more. Hang with me. Paul says it in a couple different ways. Great place is Romans 6. He says, Something you need to do is to count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. He says it in a few different ways in a couple different of his letters. I think this is incredibly important. If you want to see the Spirit work in your life, you've got to wake up in the morning and remember who you are. You need to wake up in the morning and remember that you are dead to sin because of what Jesus has done. And if you've not committed to being a Christ follower, this is part of it. <laughs> is realizing that you've been made dead to sin, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter of God, and now you are alive to him and can move in that direction. For me, I'll tell you what this looks like, just to give you personal testimony. I try regularly, it's not every morning, I try regularly to wake up and to immediately claim Christ's atonement for myself. To remind myself again of who I am. That Jesus has authority over my life by the Spirit. Not me, not the devil. Jesus does through his spirit. And when I do that, it sort of centers the day under who's in charge. Not me, the spirit is. And then when I receive the prompts, it's like, oh yeah, we did this at the beginning of the day. I remember, this is you. You're my shepherd. I got it. So it's you know, reminding yourself, counting yourself that you are dead to sin. And then out of that is do not let sin reign. Church, there is work to be done. I don't know what else to tell you. Atonement has been done for you, you've been saved, you've been cleansed, but then there's work to be done to not let sin reign so that we can hear the Spirit. Which comes down to listening to others and being in community with people who will help you put down sin, to gospel you, to remind you of who you are. So if you want to hear the Spirit talking, if you want to see the Spirit moving in your life, I would encourage you to be in community and to be vulnerable, and to share these things, and say, hey, I sense the Spirit maybe is doing this. Can you walk with me in this? And maybe when your wife or your husband or a coworker or even an unsaved person, you want to say, comes and speaks something into your life, you're like, oh, I recognize that. That's the Spirit telling me something. And instead of revolting against it, saying, I don't want to hear that conviction, you listen. And I'll say it again, this can be someone who's not yet a Christ follower. Okay, if God could talk through a donkey in the Old Testament... He can talk through your coworker, okay? That was a little bit funny. Come on, give me something. <laughs> like, God still speaks through people. And we run it back through prayer. We run it through the, you know, through the scriptures to see if, you know, this is from the Lord. 
but listen to people. Convey your, your, your sins and your longings to your community group, to your friends, to your family to say, is this what the Spirit's doing? Allow them to speak into your life. And finally, one last thing. We sense what the Spirit is doing through worship. When we gather here and we are singing songs, we are reminding one another of who God is and that the Spirit is at work among us. So if you want to sense, get a sense of what the Spirit is doing, put yourself into a place of worship. The Psalms are full of David saying, soul, you will worship. It's a decision we have to make sometimes. We don't just always feel good about it. When we tell our souls to worship and we submit our spirits to Jesus, we allow and we give the Spirit room to work, to dwell among us, to convict us of sin, Jesus says, to remind us of the gospel of who we are. But it comes down to singing and reading psalms and being together. So, is it dynamic? Is it an experience? Yes. Like it could be an axe, or like it was an axe. It can be that way in our lives. Is it subtle? Is it transforming? Yes. It's both an experience and a habit. All for the glory of God. He breathed new life into us by his spirit to make us heaven and earth people. So that his presence dwells among us and we go and we make him known to the world around us. Church, I pray that we would be spirit-filled people. That we would see dynamic things happen. But honestly, more so that we would be subtly being transformed. Slowly and steadily so that Jesus is made known through our lives. Would you pray with me?